we have choice. We are going to have situations and circumstance in our lives that are difficult. They will feel insurmountable and we will feel alone and we can't move past it. But I assure you and this audience that we can. Have you ever felt unstoppable? I mean, there was moments in my life where I felt that way and it was exhilarating. I wasn't wired or gifted to be a competitive athlete, physically or mentally. Average would be a generous way to describe even my contribution to pick up sports or social outing where we went bowling or golf. But there was times when I played and everything came together. I was in the zone, hitting strikes, making putts, scoring at will, finding a way to catch that football. I remember going axe throwing with my wife, my two daughters and their significant others who are both athletes. Fun couple of hours and you end up competing against each other. Wouldn't you know it in the finals, it was my wife versus myself, she won. But then they had this bonus long axe throwing and I got to split the bullseye. An unstoppable moment. In business, I had the, the fortune of building two advertising agencies and a research firm. And there was times where we really felt unstoppable. We won more than our fair share of business. Some of the top awards in the world, we could do no wrong. But at other times, we could do no right. Often said to my two daughters, Alexander and Michaela, if there's just a switch on your back that you could flip on, that powered this mental state, this physical state, where you could overcome, where you felt like your tires were spinning in the mud, you suddenly would get traction. It would be incredible because, in fact, you'd be unstoppable. Well, my guest today on Chatter That Matters is Victoria Pelletier. She co-authored the book, Unstoppable, Changemakers Who Dare to Make a Difference. And if you read her resume, which I've attached to the bottom of the notes, you'd say, wow, she is unstoppable. She's a manager at age 14, a C-suite executive at 24, worked with clients like Amex and IBM. She's an author, a member and contributor of Forbes Human Resources Council, an inspirational speaker, a member of the LGBTQ community. She's unstoppable. But what makes Victoria's achievements even more remarkable are two things. One, she's realized all of this at a very young age. And two, she overcame circumstances that would stop most of us in our tracks. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network, and this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Victoria was born to a drug-addicted teenager, thrown in a home, sexually and physically abused, a home she was finally removed from and later adopted. And history will prove, the data will prove, that many who are raised in this type of circumstance are stopped in their tracks. They don't escape. Victoria Pelletier did, and today we're going to learn how she did it and why and why so much of what she has discovered can apply to helping us overcome our circumstances and even feeling unstoppable. Victoria Pelletier, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Victoria, Chatter That Matters is a show where I chat with ordinary people who do extraordinary things despite circumstance. In doing so, we uncover their life lessons and hopefully that inspires us to do more and to be more and maybe even get us to where we need, want, and deserve to go. You're an author, accomplished business executive, inspirational speaker, mother, member of the LGBTQ community. If your best friend was describing you, because you truly are accomplished, what would they say? Well, my best friend does have a nickname for me. uh, And so she would call me Turtle. uh, But that doesn't define me at all. Dynamic and unstoppable clearly is sort of the moniker I've adopted. It's the name of my book. 
But the reason she calls me turtle is because the early years in which you've described created this tough exterior where I've got crazy broad shoulders and can shoulder a lot, but I'm actually all marshmallow inside. So I kind of like that description as much as, you know, all of the other ones around being unstoppable and fearless. But I, I'm much less intimidated now to interview if I know that you're a marshmallow inside. <laughs> I was touched by the fact that you said, even at a young age, if you had a tombstone or a headstone, you don't want to be remembered for what you accomplished in business. What you want to focus on is why you mattered. Tell me a little bit more about why you mattered and really what's important to you. I learned, Tony, by some mistakes actually with that. So I was so driven to be successful and prove my worth. And I did that from a professional corporate standpoint that I had this moment in my 20s I, I came into the office one day and was talking about my weekend with a colleague and how I'd watched the, whatever the latest movie was and I was bawling. And she looked at me and said, oh my goodness. She's like, Vic, I thought you'd be the type of person who'd laugh at people who cry at movies. That was a change for me, a pivot point where I realized the all business all the time who was focused in, not that I didn't care about the people I worked with, I didn't show that. I didn't show that marshmallow that I really was. That for me was the pivot point where I said, great, you know, the business results are important, but they are not, you know, how I want to be known in the community. So that's where it shifted for me to much more of a focus on the purpose that I have for being in creating this legacy and impact and pulling others along in their journey, whether that be professional or personal, by sharing the life lessons, including the failures I'd had and needed to learn from along the way. Do you think part of your false persona that you were putting on is almost how some women feel they have to be a certain way in business versus just being who they are? I do. I think a part of it was that for sure. So I know that I personally wore a mask. Some of that was due to insecurities that I had and my need to prove myself and my worth. Some of it was very much about being a woman. And I was also fearful as the only woman at the table for a very long time, or subsequently one of you know, maybe two or three, to feel that I couldn't be vulnerable. I needed to be, quote unquote, one of the guys, be focused on business all the time and show up with a little less empathy because I was focused on outcomes. You're a co-author of the book, Unstoppable, Change Makers Who Dare to Dream. Dare to Dream is a catchy title. It's a play on words. But the reality is that people are even scared to dream nowadays for fear of failure. How do you encourage in your world, which is really empowering people, that it's not only exciting to dream, but it's even more exhilarating when you feel unstoppable and you can chase that dream? This last 15 or 16 months, you know, working out of our homes, and it's funny, there was a phrase where we kept talking about, when are we going to return to work? And the reality is, I'd say the majority of us never worked harder in our lives and more hours as we were dealing, you know, with the the craziness. I don't like being asked the question, how do you, you know, balance life and work? It, it's all life, daring to dream and setting lofty goals potentially for myself allows me to do all of it, to integrate everything together. I'm the type of leader that will almost break something just to fix it and put it all back together. I want challenge. That gives me purpose. That gives me drive to go forward to the next day. So when I'm coaching individuals, you know, we're, we're, we're all going to fail at some point and we don't learn from those things. So let's strive for the things that bring us 
joy. And that could be three years from now or five years from now, but every step along that path brings us closer. That shows incredible confidence, but I look at a lot of times now in organizations and the people that run it, they would rather aim for a 2% growth knowing they can get there versus aim for 12 and only get 9% growth and feel that they failed. And for people listening, that's a math problem. It's in other words, it's much easier for me to be satisfied with mediocrity because I know I can accomplish it versus really reaching for something. And even if I don't get there, feel real proud that I've made such great strides. Why is that? Two reasons, I think. There is a, a fear of failure, again, going back to that last point. Some of the things that are required to move from 2 to 12% mean taking very bold moves. Like doing things differently. We know that those different results are going to require innovation and different thinking. So there's a fear of failure and what will that mean, quite frankly. And then there's a comfort zone. And this is why in large part, I talk a lot about diversity and inclusion. The comfort zone of the things that are similar around us, I find a lot of people get stuck in as well. The need to be bold and take demonstrable action to drive significant results is something that many are, you know, fear or just quite frankly, are uncomfortable with in general. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. My special guest today is Victoria Pelletier. The best word to describe her is unstoppable, but when we come back, she's going to share her story as a child and it would have stopped almost anyone, including myself, in their tracks. I live an unstoppable life. My mantra is no excuses. I'm a corporate executive, entrepreneur, and side hustler. A multi-potentialite. Do not expect political correctness. You will get straight talk. Always. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman continues. Chatting today with Victoria Pelche. I've introduced her as an unstoppable human being. She's a manager of 14, C-suite at 24. She's an author, inspirational speaker. She's a wife, mother, part of the LGBTQ community. She's a force in nature. Victoria, before we get to where you're standing today, if we can, I want to go back to your childhood because everything I've read and what I've listened to some of your talks, it was quite horrific. And you talked about actually that your mother was a drug addicted teenager. So can you take us back to that? Yeah, I can. I, um, so as you said, Tony, I was born to a, a drug addicted teenage mother who she herself came from a very challenged childhood. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that one of the, the best things she ever could have done is eventually agree to give me up for adoption, but that wasn't until several years of significant abuse in her household. Uh, I remember being pushed both up and down stairs. I had a cigarette, in this case, carelessly, not intentionally in my eye, and I wore a patch for months. I uh, went in and out of the child welfare system until eventually the woman that became my adoptive mother, I became a safe haven for her. I remember the last day I spent in my biological mother's home, and her name is Julie. My mom is the woman that raised me. And Julie called her and said, come and get her before I kill her. My mom graciously, warmly brought me into the household and raised me. 
it was a very difficult situation for her because that turtle comment was started very early. I wore this armor to protect myself from getting hurt. Fear of being rejected again and again. And so there was a lot of testing the waters with her until she would say to me, Tori, like, I am not going to give you away. To subsequently being in an environment, you know, I was born, or I sorry, I was raised by parents who were lower middle class. My mom was a secretary and my dad a school janitor. The other reason I chose to drive so hard rather than the need to prove myself given my biological roots, because I remember her saying to me, Tori, you need to do better than us. Now, I, I don't think, Tony, she needed to actually say those words to me, but that was her way of encouraging and pushing you know, me to go beyond where I felt fearful of, again, rejection and, and putting myself out too broadly into the world. And it's interesting. She actually put me into modeling because she thought that would break me out of my shell. The extrovert that everyone sees now did not always exist. That required time and time again of leaning into my discomfort. I was very fortunate though. I, school came easily, skipped a couple of grades. And I had my, my mom who was a huge advocate for me and pushing me forward. You mentioned other um, uh, abusive events, uh, a rape at age 14 uh, at the hands of uh, a boyfriend um, that I had you know, recently been dating. So time and time again, a number of situations to my mom being diagnosed as manic depressive in my teenage years as well that caused me to move out of the home because it was a challenge uh, at age 17 uh, in my first year of university. So it was a very challenging er, you know, early life for me, but I, I spent a lot of time talking about my why, right? Simon Sinek, start with why. And so I share my story so openly. However, I didn't uh, share quite so openly, again, showing a brave face all the time because I want people to understand where I come from, what drives me, uh, why I have great empathy, why I'm focused on purpose and belonging and creating goals and dreams for one another when you think that they are unsurmountable. How could you ever trust people? I mean, your childhood uh, in and out of uh, foster care, your mom, who you call the person that actually saved you saying, I'll never let you go. But, you know, raped at 14. I mean, you've been abused by the human race for, I mean, the formative part of your life, how do you ever compartmentalize that so going forward, you can realize that there's good human beings out there? It took me a long time. You know, I was with my my ex-wife for 11 years, and I actually attribute a lot of my learnings in terms of trust and relationships to her. She was one who was always incredibly, incredibly supportive. She encouraged me to be vulnerable not only just with her, but with the rest of the world. And I felt she was one who would protect me. Now, interestingly, I was 22 when I met her and she was 35. So she played that role for me. Uh, ultimately, I think that was part of why we got divorced. Sadly, she, she passed away from cancer a number of years ago. And a relationship after that, I still found myself slightly worried about, was I going to get hurt? And in that next relationship, the man that I was then with at that point said something similar to me and also hurt me again, had an affair. And I, that also was another one of those sort of turning points for me. And I remember I, getting back on the horse and trying to date again and a friend saying like, are you afraid to do this? You know, I've always wanted to be loved. Think about my early years. 
And so I said, I'm going to do this and I want to be partnered. I think I'm better and, you know, partnered in, in that relationship. And I, I, I talk about the personal story now, but this is very much around how I, you know, act on a professional level. There's crappy people out there and they're going to do things because they're hurt. Um, they're fearful. But I believe ultimately we're all good people and want to do well. And so for me, I've learned that I'm going to operate with best intentions and trust. And people have that trust out of the gate with me until they prove otherwise. And I think going back to being unstoppable, if I didn't think that way, I think I'd have a very difficult time putting one foot in front of the other every day and being happy and joyful and teaching my children how to grow up to be happy, healthy, successful in whatever definition of success they want, and, and should they choose to be partnered. My special guest, Victoria Pelletier, and the best way to describe her is unstoppable. At 14, you're raped, but at the same time, you start finding your way into the workforce. And from what I understand from your biography, you even become a manager at age 14. That's really before any most people actually start their first job. How does that come about? Yeah, it's really interesting. And it was for, for me, I started working at age 11. I worked in a hair salon, taking care of all the fun stuff, making appointments, sweeping the floors and uh, doing, you know, the, 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 the towels, the laundry and uh, worked and moved from there actually to work in a shoe store. And I got promoted to the assistant manager at 14. And it's just because I'd been very, very focused on results. We were measured on our sales performance. And so like most organizations, they tend to promote the best performers, not always the best leaders. I've grown into being a good leader, I believe. So I was put into that role early. And that was much more the manager of the store talked to me about sharing my success with others. That was really what much more of the goal and objective. And so from 14, I moved into then more of a corporate environment. At 16, I, I started working in a doctor's office. He had seven offices, took care of making sure all the doctors got paid and greeting all the clients to uh, while in university working in a bank. With the intent, what's really interesting, Tony, my goal was actually to be a lawyer. I think my mom had me watch too much LA Law as a as a young girl. And uh, that became my, my, my goal or aspiration. And I realized while working at the bank, again, moved very quickly into a leadership role there. I had such passion for the corporate world, this dynamic that existed between serving multiple constituents of customers or clients, the employees. And then when I moved into the world of business to business and outsourcing, I had this added dynamic of customers that paid our paychecks and then services saying their constituents of employees or customers. And I just loved that, but also recognized my passion around leading people, being able to impart some of the successes I'd had and even the early failures, even though I was quite young. And so I made a um, a big leap from a relatively quote unquote safe career in working for one of Canada's largest banks to jumping out to be a COO and general manager for a large private outsourcing company. And that was my foray into the world of being an executive. And quite frankly, it actually taught me it significantly about how to how to run and lead businesses, even though it was a massive stretch for me at just age 24, a few months after giving birth to my first child. Tony Chapman, you're listening to Chatter That Matters presented by RBC. You can download the podcast wherever you get your podcast. My special guest today, her name is Victoria Pelche. And when we come back, Victoria Pelche is going to talk about why she loves misfits. 
Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Women-led enterprises are key to Canada's economy, and RBC is helping to accelerate and grow these businesses, sponsoring the RBC Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards, a celebration of impact and achievement, and CEO, a radically generous community supporting women working on the world's to-do list. Women-led businesses and the economy matters to RBC. Now more with Tony Chapman. Welcome back to Chatter That Matters. I am talking to an unstoppable woman. Uh, if you're just joining the show, she was uh, born to a drug addicted teenager uh, in a home where she was sexually abused, physically abused, adopted, and then she found her range, her, her confidence, her conviction. Entering the workforce at age 14 as an assistant manager and before long, by 24, she's, uh, she's operating a business. So she truly has had an incredible journey so far. I love this quote that you offer in one of your talks. It's easy to let our circumstances stand in our way, but we don't have to. Circumstances of our past only rob us of a future if we let them. Where did you draw that conclusion? Because that's quite profound. For, and I don't, mean, I don't mean to be disparaging for age, but that's something you normally hear from somebody that's lived a very long life. I feel some days like I've led a very long life. My, my children will joke, my daughter in particular, about how old I am, particularly when the gray hair starts to poke out. I do believe it's about choice, though. It's been a very conscious decision to overcome the battle scars that I've received over these many, many years. One of the other hashtags I have, and I'll sign off on social media quite frequently, is no excuses. That's a really, you know, joyful or joking way to talk about the quote you just read. We have choice. It's tough in that circumstance. I know it. And it don't get me wrong. It's not like the tears haven't flown and I felt down my face and felt sorry for myself many times in my life. But I picked myself up and I moved forward. And so that's what I meant when I talk about those circumstances and about the choice we can make. But those choices mean also, who do you choose to surround yourself and who's going to raise you up and bring you up and mentor or coach you and just support you when you need it. And so I want to talk a little bit about those moments when you the tears are pouring and, and you're feeling helpless, because I think a lot of people out there are feeling that way now. And you had another, and I love words, brilliant quote that said, where there's conviction, there's capacity. So is that the quote that you reach for when you feel that the wall's closing in on you? Yeah. And that goes back to the choice and goals and setting these for yourself. And so the, I, I use that phrase a lot when, when people talk about how do you get it all done? So I say, as you've just said, where there is conviction, there is capacity. You either want it or you don't. You have a goal, a dream, an outcome that you want to achieve. And if you believe fundamentally in that, then you have capacity to endure the challenges along the way, to create the time and space to achieve it. I love when you talk about in one of your blog posts, and by the way, she has an incredible blog when you go to her site, and you talk about how much you love misfits. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your passion for the uh, the people that don't fall into status quo. <laughs> Uh, I, I do. I love it. Although some people don't love that term misfits, but this just means for me this, that, as you said, it's, n it's not about being part of the status quo. I talked about 
breaking things just to fix them and move them forward. But it's a big part of why we talk about how businesses and communities do better with diversity, innovation and creativity that comes with different lived experience. And that can be a a multitude of experiences that people have. So I love misfits and I am proudly a misfit. In that blog post, I actually told the story of joining a new organization. And it was the third day on the job, sitting around the table, an executive meeting. I was just sitting back and observing because I was so new. And at the end of the day, I said to my new leader, I said, oh my gosh, Mike, I said, I am very different from others here. And that was just from listening to dialogue. And he said, yes, but that is why we hired you. I said, but are you ready for me? That's because I want to challenge the status quo. You talked about moving from 2% to 12% if that's your financial growth objectives. Well, you're not going to get there by doing things the same way. And so misfits for me are people that think and act differently, who challenge the status quo, the way things have always been done. I hate hearing that, particularly in business, when people say, well, but this is the way we've always done it. That doesn't mean it's right or it's the best way to do things now. So I encourage people to embrace their inner and outer misfit. You know, if you're listening to this, and especially the next five or 10 years where machines are going to populate every corner of marketplace, it's the misfits, as Victoria says, it's the people that stand out, that have insight, that have heart, that have passion, and have authenticity, are the ones that are going to survive and soar because machines can never be a misfit. They're too predictable. So Victoria, I want to talk to you a little bit about your role now as an incredible uh, inspirational speaker and really talking about diversity and inclusion because from companies like Amex and IBM and others, you've really taken on and championing the sense that we are a better culture when we have more diversity and we're more inclusive. So tell me a little bit about what you talk about when people bring you in to, uh, to address their, uh, their audiences. Well, the first thing I talk about is the need to be incredibly intentional around diversity, equity, and inclusion are often called belonging. And the reason I talk about intentionality is it's great to, as an organization, set an objective or state your values. But if you are not intentional across the entire suite of processes, so I often say like DE&I for short, is not just a program that you institute. It means that every journey upon the entire both customer and employee life cycle, you need to be thinking about that. Am I creating, whether it's a product or a service, who's the audience it appeals to? Do you want to go much more broadly? Thinking about that. So the intentionality behind the access to products or services, again, looking at the diverse employee or customer constituent base that you're serving. Intentionality means a number of things. And so I spent a lot of time talking to executives around from an employee standpoint. And so it means creating a brand in which candidates initially want to work for. You know, so thinking about your brand and your messaging from number one all the way through to you can attract people in, but are you going to retain them in the organization? This is where the sense of belonging comes. Going back to the misfit comment. People will feel like misfits because they don't look like, they don't sound like, they they have different lived or professional experience than others around the table. Are you creating an environment where they feel like they can show up and be their whole selves every day? 
organizations that are diverse, equitable, and inclusive are proven. The data is there to have greater profitability. You think about it, employees who feel more engaged are more productive, delivering both top and bottom line results, are more focused on the purpose of the organization. What we also see at boards that do that as well is there is less fraud that uh, may exist at that level. Uh, again, the decision-making is, is different. All around, it's the right thing to do. Although I, I, I struggle a bit when sometimes I'm asked to help justify or build a business case for some of these programs and the processes and changes that need to be made. Fundamentally, I think we all know it's the right thing to do, but it's good for business. It's good for employees. And when the, the younger generations are coming up now are looking much more so for their employers to be aligned to their values and their purpose. And a big part of that is around diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice. What I really enjoyed about the marshmallow turtle that I'm talking to is the fact that you also said, though, this isn't just about numbers. This also involves performance. So in other words, we need to embrace diversity because it's the right thing to do for everybody. But we also need to embrace the fact that, that we, we have to still be creating a culture of excellence. And I thought that was very courageous because a lot of people don't necessarily take it to that level. They back away from that and just say, this is just about righting the wrong and leveling the, the playing field and getting the skills right. But you're saying, no, it's still, it, performance still matters. Absolutely. And, and, and getting leaders to understand that there is not a trade-off. There does not need to be for creating the right kind of culture and environment and, 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 and inclusive culture and belonging with having business results. The reality is one drives the other. Hi, it's Tony Chapman. You're listening to Chatter That Matters. You're listening to Victoria Pelche. She is unstoppable, incredible lessons in life. My wife's from South Africa. I'll confess that we're recording this today on my birthday. And five years ago, I was under the African sun. And that night, there was a surprise party for me with 30 people, and they all dressed up in animal onesies. So Africa is a very uh, beautiful country and a very big part of who I am. And I have to say, when I saw this word, I had to smile. So tell us a little bit about Ubuntu, what it means and why it matters. Yeah, I love this word. It is a Zimbabwean word that there's no real direct literal translation. The best way to describe it is the phrase, I am, therefore we are. Now, Nelson Mandela used it at the time of apartheid. And that's where actually it started to gain a lot more traction in its use. I embrace it fully. Again, let me say, I am, therefore we are. And so that when I talk around the type of culture that I want to work in and the organization and the leaders and the type of leader I want to be, I want to create that kind of environment where I am and therefore we are. And that's about, again, recognizing the different lived experience we have and our ability to show up as our authentic, true selves every day. Another I thought refreshing point of view was to realize that it takes two to tango. When you're talking about women and pay equity is saying, absolutely, we have to write this, but women have to get better at negotiating at work. They have to apply some of the skills they have in negotiating at home and bringing it into the marketplace. Tell me a little bit about what you meant by that. Women, interestingly, apply for fewer jobs than men typically do. So most job requisitions or postings list a series of skills or prerequisites. Let's say there are 10. 
women will generally not apply even for those roles unless they have nine or 10 out of those requisite skills, whereas men will do it at six or seven. So unless they fundamentally believe that they meet all of the criteria, they won't put themselves out there. So that's number one. Two is fear of being told no in terms of asking. I have this saying, you don't ask, you don't get asking for more. So I'm, I'm generally the person that others will come to to help them coaching on from their compensation conversations or even making a, a significant purchase because I can help them negotiate. And so for women, be comfortable with the stretch roles because their male counterparts are going for those, those roles and those additional opportunities. Although that said, I will say it's incumbent upon leaders, and this is for all diverse talent, but to be comfortable choosing the diverse candidate who doesn't meet all 10 of those criteria. But again, they come with great experience and fit and culture, and then they work to help coach them towards that. For women who typically bear more, those that you know have families, or maybe it's aged parents that they're taking care of, that becomes a decision in what they can manage in terms of career progression, because they're trying to balance all of those things. Not to feel guilty. I think there's also a huge sense of guilt that many women bear who have children in particular who choose to go right back into the workforce or work long hours. Where there's conviction, there's capacity. So there's an opportunity to find a way to do it all. And at some point, your children become grown up and you still have a runway of career ahead of you. So putting yourself into the mix in terms of caring. I talk about not doing things that don't bring me personal joy or value. So as a woman, I learned to look to support. So my expectation, whether it was my wife or my husband, is that they are going to support me in the household and support my career. And we're going to share equal duties. So you mentioned your wife and your husband. You're really a champion of the LGBTQ community. June was Pride Month. Have we come so far as a society that we can now celebrate pride? Are we still fighting as a society to remove biases and stereotypes? I think the answer is it depends. And predominantly by geography. But even then, I think in the Americas, uh, where we sit here, there's still challenges and uh, with acceptance. It's come a significant way. So I, I actually came out as bisexual at age 14. I am now raising uh, a gay daughter. What I have seen, though, Tony, is that the path and the journey that she's had in her coming out, her experiences so much further evolved or advanced than it was when I did. So I think that's phenomenal. But because I spend a lot of time talking to, uh, about diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and a lot to the LGBT community, I still hear horrific stories. Chatting with Victoria Peltier, the best way to get hold of you would be what? Victoria-Peltier.com. Three things I've learned from you today, Victoria, is number one, Embrace the misfit, because I think we're all misfits. And show up with who you are, be authentic, be proud of it, and know that your diversity, whether that's ethnicity, whether that's age, whether that's gender, it doesn't matter. You're going to contribute something to the conversation if you believe in who you are. The second thing is we talk about diversity. I love when you said this isn't a process. This has got to be the lifeblood of an organization. And the third thing is Ubuntu. I am, therefore we are. Victoria Pelche, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I can't wait to bring you back on Chatter That Matters to find out what's next. Thank you. Happy to be here. I want to give a big shout out to RBC for sponsoring the Canadian Women Entrepreneur Awards. It's a preeminent national business awards that recognizes 
our country's leading female entrepreneurs and creates a climate and a community to inspire others. Joining me now on Chatter That Matters is Vicki Saunders, the founder of SheEO. SheEO is a global community of radically generous women. And Vicki's truly unstoppable in her quest to create space for women to thrive on their own terms, to own their own greatness. Welcome, Vicki. Thanks so much. Vicki, what has stopped women in the past and what is changing now? We are in a deeply challenging moment between worlds. The old world is falling apart. The structures and the systems that we have are deeply biased, not working for us. And we can all see it now. Everybody's seeing it every single day. And we need to get to a new world that works for everyone. So give me an example of how things aren't working. You know, there's been this unraveling over the last five years, and it's quite easy to see if you look out the window. We are in a deep world of pain. Uh, all of the billionaires have made many more billions during the pandemic. Uh, we have frontline workers starving, paying terrible wages. We have you know, parents locked in at home without childcare. Everywhere you look, everything needs to be redesigned. And so I think that there's less and less pushback, but still there are people holding on to our economy like it's a religion, holding on to the way that we do things in a way that uh, is in fear, essentially. If we let go of the old and unleash the power of women-driven business, what's the upside? I mean, if we funded women to the same degree as men, uh, we'd create 6 million jobs just in North America. So what is this capital gap? 51% of the population gets 2.2% of the capital globally. So Vicky, what will change this? What will make women unstoppable? The biggest challenge we have in front of us is our imagination and our thinking that this is the only way it can be. So all of us need to figure out how to step through the door and shed the old world and start imagining anew. And I think it's very difficult to do on your own. It's much easier to do when you're in a community of people who are all of this spirit, supporting each other, dreaming together and collaborating. It's time to lock arms uh, and start to imagining a better place for all of us. Vicki Saunders, you had a dream and you're doing it. And CEO is proving that unstoppable is a matter of choice, not chance. Thanks for joining me on Chat of the Matters. Thank you, Tony. Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network.